Nathan, your hand needs a cut as badly as mine does. Well, please uh, write that down and post it to my wife. <laughs> Why? She said the opinion that the hairstyle I've had since 1992 is not actually that great. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen you with this much hair. I'm slightly top lit, which makes my beard look like it extends to my collar. That's not quite true. But... It does. Right, that's Netflix up and running. My audio recording's working. Now we've got all this bit with you two talking about papers, please, and the alternatives, whilst I wasn't recording. I don't know if you guys were. I was recording. <laughs> I was, yeah. Oh, good. Maybe I can salvage some sort of intro from then. If you're wondering why I've only just started speaking, people, technical issues, that's why. Blame Canada. Blame Canada. I'm excited to see what uh, sparkling audio quality eventually comes out of this jerry-rigged <laughs> mesh of 1990s Apple shareware. It's not too bad. We've used this sort of setup before. <laughs> if they didn't notice well, then, they'll it's never notice now. Doing it again. Do we want to be Let's watching? Play yeah, then... I was asking because it's an hour and a half. We don't have to watch the whole thing. I'm excited to get the opportunity to see what rating this is. Oh, it's 12 apparently. 12 rated. This week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 13 of Remedial Nerding. This week, there are four lights! No, wait, it's a chain of command. (laughs) I mean, that is the episode. Well, that's part two, technically, but... Yeah. I I tried to explain this two-part epic to my wife in as few sentences as possible, and what I came up with was part one, trade negotiation, part two, 45 minutes of inhumane torture. <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> it's not a trade negotiation, Dan, it's a spy mission. Part one, Admiral Douchebag turns up and replaces Captain Picard with Captain Douchebag. <laughs> oh yeah, Necheyev, who also features in DS9 as someone with terrible judgement. <laughs> how is she, how did she become how an admiral? I, <laughs> I mean, I've got a feeling this is a, a discovery twist that I haven't quite watched as far as yet, that the admirals are all expats from the Mirror Universe or something. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. I wasn't I was in danger of giving away giving away my secret identity and talking about the yeah, the field they get promoted in the military in the real world, but I managed to avoid it. <laughs> I'd imagine that she got promoted the same way as a lot of managers in businesses that I've worked in get promoted. She sucked a lot of dick. You promote incompetence until until you find a job that they can't fuck up, and that's the level you leave them at. Uh, well, yeah, possibly. It's kind of the opposite of the traditional phrase Peter principle. Where everyone, if you're good at your job, you get promoted, and if you're not good at your job, you stay in it, so that everyone is eventually sorted into a job they're bad at. <laughs> we had one guy that started off as an operator and ended up 
being promoted through like line manager, section manager, and in the end ended up second in command of the entire place as world class facilities manager. No, no, world class process manager. No one had any idea what he did, but he had his own office with a table and a whiteboard. And every week he'd have a meeting and ask people how he could make things better. And then not do them. (laughs) It sounds like being a professor with tenure. (laughs) I've had to open both the windows partially. And despite the fact that I live on a very quiet road, I'm still worried about road noise now. Well, you're in Wiltshire now, so it'd just be like horse hooves and things. (laughs) I'm hoping I don't get as much noise as I did earlier, where it sounded like the world was ending slash a volcano erupting outside. But then I... It is only now watching this with subtitles that I've realised that the ship that the Admiral turns up on is called the Cairo, as in the big city in Egypt. Not K-I-R-O. I thought it was C-H-I-R-O. Well, as in Greek for hand or something. This makes way more sense. Anyway, apart from the Admiral, they have also bust their uh, Jellico. Who I kept wanting to refer to as Jericho. I was going to say, Jellico, not Jericho. Is this the first time we met the Cardassians? I'm assuming not, because it seems like you're already supposed to know who they are. Yeah, I think you're meant to know that something's up, something's up with them. Hang on a minute. Yeah, to the Google. <laughs> yeah, race you. It's all right, you go. <laughs> I'm too lazy to race. I've also noticed it fits in with the, the Mass Effect bit from uh, Ashley in Mass Effect 1. Why, when someone opens a sen- starts a sentence with "with all due respect," what they really mean is "kiss my ass." <laughs> Fuck you. Will trying to get sassy with the admiral. Uh, admiral douchebag who tells Will that he's not ready to lead this mission, despite the fact that he's been offered ships of his own. But you know he's not good enough for this one. Well, I mean, there's different skills. Although I don't know why you're sending Beverly on a seal mission. Oh, it's nice to see Picard wearing his turtleneck. <laughs> oh yes, they're being action hipsters. I guess so yeah, much overlap. for the uh, Sterling Archer. Well, that's because Paul's connection is being transmitted via satellite or something. Because <laughs> he's in an undisclosed, undisclosed location. It shouldn't be that bad. I paid for 28 meg broadband. Well, it was that expensive because it was operated by hot air balloon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends what, what time period you average the bandwidth over. If you're dumping like the Encyclopedia Britannica times a billion in it. You know, a dumper truck once a month, then actually the bandwidth's quite high. It's just the latency's very bad. It's it's literally sneaking it. It's all being cached onto USB thumb drives that someone's running across the <laughs> exclusion zone to the to an Ethernet port on the other side. I literally ran out of air in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a fact there's an XKCD comic about this about how fast you'd have to ship hard drives around to beat the internet. You realise that we have missed the, the first six minutes of this episode because ostensibly it is just a command change that they take ten minutes to facilitate. Well, they also have some holodeck training time. Oh, it's not a fast episode. The new Captain Kearns, I was like, I want to change everything. Everything! Why? Because I can. <laughs> yeah. You've all grown fat and lazy. Under Picard. How dare you work a full eight-hour day? You will all work six-hour days. I mean, to be fair, I'd enjoy that. <laughs> but with one-third less manning per shift. <laughs> Update, Cardassians have appeared twice before now, but one of them was in an episode called Ensign Row, which presumably brings in the whole 
occupation of Bajor yeah. thing. Isn't that just the one where she it starts off of my name's backwards? I hate Kardashians. I hate Kardashians. I hate Kardashians. Well, there was a season four episode called The Wounded, which I think was basically the same thing except with Miles oh, O'Brien. <laughs> Miles O'Brien and Captain Kurtz or something. The knockoff Captain Kirk. No, from Heart of Darkness, Dan. <laughs> Fun fact, Heart of, Heart of Darkness? No, Apocalypse Now is also uh, parodied in an episode of Hey Dougie, the five-minute animated children's TV show that I can't <laughs> persuade my daughter to watch enough. Now that Oliver's got into children's TV a little bit, I'm trying them out to see which ones I like. I've, it turns out that I I have a fairly high tolerance to the Teletubbies. <laughs> which I was not expecting. That's just a Pavlovian response. Now you were subjected to large amounts of it in your youth, so now you just think you enjoy it. Like Stockholm Syndrome, but with Teletubbies. <laughs> oh, I get to blame this one on Joanne, because it would have been her that I was watching them with. I was going to say, I thought we were too old for it, but I guess, yeah, with the younger siblings, just about right. When you've got a sibling that's 11 years long, younger than you. Teletubbies and then Spongebob. We were just at the right points for those. Two things I didn't think I was going to talk about in this episode of (laughs) Remedial Nerding. Teletubbies and Spongebob Squarepants. So let's recap. Admiral Douche has turned up to greet a very happy Captain Picard who is happy to accept visitors, only tell him to get bent you're going on a secret mission. You can't tell anyone. Captain Dickwad's turned up, told everyone they're not doing enough and you need four shifts, not three. We'll get it done. They've changed command and now Will's getting a dressing down by the new captain because he's turned up and gone, hey, four shifts, not done, I'll be doable. No, Will, get it the fuck done. That job you told me to do, yeah, I've not done it. Yeah, (laughs) fuck you. Yeah, I mean, it gets to the point that Will gets basically... Um, put on gardening leave is like right your orders now are to go back to your quarters and play trombone you can you interpret that as a euphemism or not as you see fit <laughs> judging by the silk pajamas i think he probably did but yeah we, we get the weird scene of seeing data in red pajamas yeah command data i'm pretty sure that a Riker went through his list of personnel that aren't working hey the surprise day off want to come over. I think Data gets the promotion because whenever Jellico says something like, um, I want all the engines working at 100.0% efficiency, he goes, well, that's technically possible, assuming that no one minds working at the weekend. <laughs> and Jellico goes, fantastic, let's do it. <laughs> the look on Geordie's face when Data literally says, yeah, if you get everyone working at once, you've got enough man hours to get that done. There is definitely such a thing as good enough. Also, they do disobey a direct order because the science station at the back where he says needs to be weapons and damage control never changes from science. Oh yeah, we need to reroute all the power from the the engines to the phasers. But that'll mean turning off the the rock lab (laughs) and the nerd farm and we'll we'll have to turn off the lights and the heater to Wesley's ant farm. I love how he's criticising the design and layout of the systems on the Enterprise whilst... Simultaneously, having just come from the uh, the Cairo, which is an Oberth-class ship, which was around when, in Kirk's era, or well, in the films at least. I mean, they must have been upgraded, right? There is an absolutely absurd amount of geekery on the internet about the different ship designs. 
Oh god, yeah, there's loads of stuff like that online on um Ars Technica. From the people who have stepped frame by frame through the Wolf three five nine battleground scene. <laughs> Oh, there's huge amounts of discussion of things like just how long is an Akira-class starship? But all those dimensions And how many are decks available. does the Enterprise E have? Yes, but they, the, where they're available, even in canon sources, don't agree with each other. No? Well, yeah, because no. it's a work of fiction, so the question is not how long is an Akira-class, it's how long did the person who had to write the Star Trek technical manual think an Akira-class should be? <laughs> And did he or did he not speak to the person who then had to write an episode where it had to fit through a hole in the space or something? How big is your hole in space? Well, the majority is that the cross-section of the ship that you see in all the diagrams in the back, like behind Data's head at the moment in my screen, and then take the number of decks and multiply them by 2.4, and that's your height, and then work out the, uh, the length based on proportion. And then a year later, a film comes out in which someone passes a sign in the corridor that says Deck 99 and throws everything to... Throws everything yeah. I'm struggling to finish my sentences, which is not great for a podcast. I'm <laughs> Changing topic, I'm on the scene where Jellico tells Troy to basically get a uniform out of the cupboard. Yeah. And stop turning yeah. up to work in her pyjamas. <laughs> I'm not really sure why Picard has let her get away with this for six years. It does put a different spin on it because I'd kind of assumed that that was some kind of counsellor's uniform but no it just seems like that's just her dressing gown. It doesn't look very comfortable for a dressing gown. Well no but we already know that Star Trek has uncomfortable pyjamas. True. Tartan is out of fashion in the 23rd century. He's a bit harsh and abrupt with Troy isn't he? Yes come in let me talk to you about the Duke Vosser. Oh you've got an issue? Yeah, I've got a meeting in five minutes, so get the fuck out. Oh, yeah, put your uniform on. <laughs> yeah, I find Jellicoe an interesting character because he is not actually that much of a bad guy. He's just a massive dick to everyone. He's focused, determined, and driven to the detriment of everything else. Well, he knows what he wants. He just doesn't care what anyone else wants. Yeah, he's been given the Enterprise as a tool to do a job. And he will make that tool do that job. Yeah, he's not been on there long enough to form an attachment to either the ship or the crew. To be fair, he probably knows that whether Picard comes back or not, he is not going to keep command of the Enterprise because he is not that captain. If he's decided they've not got time to do the duty roster now, she's only been in there for about two minutes. So it was seven minutes enough, but five minutes not enough. Go put some goddamn clothes on. You are quite a way behind us. Oh, only a little bit, but I, I can't be bothered to try and do anything. I've had enough technical issues so <laughs> far today. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess around. Good enough. What would Captain Jellico say? If you've got an issue, here's a tissue. What did they do with Picard's fish? <laughs> I wondered that. I like to imagine he's in a force field fishbowl in, in sick bay or something. I mean, Picard leaves his book with Riker because that's what you see him reading when Dickface goes to Grubble. I've now got to Picard in his quarters. It looks like someone's literally beating the crap out of him. It's because he's been doing holographic obstacle courses all afternoon. Yeah. So, the secret mission he's been sent on is some like long-range sensors have been pointed at a random Cardassian moon, and they've said, 
what WMD detected. Yeah. Find someone who's done some research on the whatever the God Slayer equivalent of so, depleted space theta fucking carrier waves or whatever. Inanimate carbon rods, yeah. They say, well, it turns out we've got Picard, then two other captains who are even older and more bookish. Who don't work for us anymore. Yeah. What a remarkable coincidence. Or, as it turns out in part two, not. Spoilers. Dun dun dun. Someone's played them like a two-bit piccolo. I mean, you see the shuttlecraft launching. It's got the three of them in it. It does not look like it was ever designed for a long-range mission with three people. I mean, this is why they created the Danube-class runabout. Oh, yeah, and the shuttlecraft are tiny. But then they don't really need them very often in the tongue. Ah, oh, yes, now we're, now we're on our way to almost certain death. I can tell you why we're going. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, you've won the mystery prize of knowing why we're going to die. You know... Because you need to know. So Picard and Beverly have got a bit of a a one-two system going on with expositioning to Worf. <laughs> Worf is playing the role of the viewer. Yeah. I feel like Worf got given a lot of delicate ways to say I am not familiar with nonsense science word you just made up. <laughs> well, rather than just go, what the fuck are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Subspace. Is there anything it can't do? Not really. It can move ships faster than the speed of light. It can send video messages in real time. And it can teleport microbes that can decimate planets. You'd think if Starfleet was really going to do something like this, they'd have a you know, a squad of actual, actual proper ninja commandos to go and do it not just you know a mid-40s ship's captain a doctor i mean wharf is wharf is definitely suited to this but what you'd want is like wharf and his half a dozen best mates from security training i mean they must have a commando specialist in science who can go yeah we need to compress the scanny thingy and uh, yeah it's 500 meters in that direction and then a doctor to go yeah, that's a vial of bad goop. <laughs> Do you need to identify the bad goop if you're going to blow the shit out of the place? <laughs> I mean, maybe this is like the uh, DS9 episode where it's like, if you get this stuff on you, it sets a clock ticking. But then I suppose the instruction can still be don't get the bad goop on you. Yeah. I like the undercover clothes. The turtlenecks. No, wait, we're... You're a scene ahead. You're you're in the cantina with the music going. <laughs> and the TNG era Ferengi who don't look quite right. <laughs> Very different to the first encounter with the Ferengi in TNG, though. At which point of the flight in does Picard sit barefoot down and go, okay, so I'm going to need you to whore yourself out for the good of everyone. <laughs> That's a difficult conversation to have, right? I don't. I assume that was her own idea because I get the impression that in the Star Trek universe, the second paragraph in Ferengi is on the Wikipedia entry on the Ferengi is basically tug on one ear and they'll do whatever you want. Oh, that everyone loves a bit of Umox. They are the great deal makers, by which I mean extremely easily fooled. 
Oh, you want to make a deal? Just jack me off in public and it's yours. <laughs> so there is an, an extended spelunking scene. Do you think the pacing of this is obviously because there's too much to fit into one 45 minute episode, but probably not really enough to fit into an hour and a half of usual Star Trek pacing. But I also think it builds up to the, uh, the increasing tempo towards the climax at the end of part one. Because it does get pretty busy in the last five minutes. Yeah, during while I was watching it, I did not feel bored at any point. Just uh, swing back round to the end of the, the ear-stroking scene, and the camera pans to Picard and Worf, and Worf's looking down at Picard with a slightly disgusted look on his face, and Picard's just sitting there smiling. <laughs> like, yeah, real grateful. Thank you for pointing it out. I cannot help but think that there must be some other people researching Theta Band emissions somewhere. Well, we've discussed before that Starfleet science doesn't seem that great because often people present a problem, mention that Central Research has been working on it for five years, and then Riker or someone will come up with a breakthrough in the next hour and a half. <laughs> uh, well, see, I sat down and thought about it really hard, and then I gave, had the idea. Then I went and asked Data, and he solved it. Yeah. Hey, Data, I've got this homework. Do you mind doing it for me? Maybe we should spin on a bit. We're in danger of taking an hour and a half to do this recording and turning this into a monster episode. <laughs> Except that I'm watching it actually in Netflix, so I can't even play at one and a half times speed. I. Uh-uh. I met the Jellico Diana meeting part two. With Diana wearing a real uniform and looks super uncomfortable in it. You're gonna die. Oh yeah, so I've just randomly skipped ahead to 14 minutes before the end. And what is happening there is that the Enterprise, while Picard is Picard, Beverly and Wolf are on their SEAL Team 6 thing, the Enterprise has gone to park in the neutral zone or something and have a Conflab with the Cardassians. Basically saying, hey, what's with all these ships? Oh, they're just training. Okay, well, we're just training too, then. <laughs> this is unacceptable. I storm out of the room, only not really. It's all a ruse. If it, as much as Jellico is a dick, his tactics were working until Riker, like, totally blows the game. By reacting when he should. Given that Riker's all about the poker face, his poker face in it is terrible. Does suggest that Admiral Douche was correct in her assessment of Riker's abilities on this one. I also like how the cave is made of a very, very bright polystyrene. <laughs> all the better to film in. Yeah. Damn, we've reached an impasse. What should we do? Blast our way through. Set phases to drill. We've also set phases to level 16. I'm pretty sure that level 16 is as high as the phaser goes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure setting it to maximum will do the job, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying seeing Cardassians look supremely uncomfortable trying to sit on nice Starfleet chairs with a plant behind them. <laughs> the, the, the Starfleet observation room chairs do not make for comfortable sitting in Cardassian pointy armour. Yeah, because you've got Riker just kind of lounging with his fingers steepled. 
Well, it's only because it's in a chair that he can't perform the Riker manoeuvre. <laughs> he just kind of slumped into it. He's not sat in it, he's wearing it. The various gulls are just kind of looking at each other saying, can we get some you know, harsh spotlights or something in here to make this room more cosy? Crank the thermostat up 10 degrees. Ah. Tiny hole right for cave-in. Has cave-in. Oh, I did notice the whole um, observation now, when Will stands up, he does tug the front of his uniform down a la Picard. I wonder if that's canonically supposed to be something that Reich has picked up for him, or if it was something from him, or if it was something that Jonathan Frakes actually picked up from Patrick Stewart. So, they're crawling through the lava tube, back on Operation Seal Team 6. Beverly gets crushed by falling rocks. Worf jumps in and digs her out. They drag her out, Picard says to her, Are you alright? And the doctor says, Yes, I think so. She doesn't pull out her medical tricorder to check. It's not checking for internal bleeding or anything like that. Yeah, no, you're right. I feel fine, but next time you can get crushed. Oh, that was a bit of a, a nominative determinism there with her surname. Well, no, that would only be true if loads of Dr. Beverly Crushers fell down and destroyed some rocks. <laughs> the grammar's all wrong otherwise. Cash you, Nathan, you grammar Nazi. I'm not sure if it's like grammar extremism to say that you can't put ER on the end to mean something that happened to someone. So I've just hit the bit where they've used a little laser thingy and the little doodad to get through the magnetically sealed door and find the theta box. Dun dun dun. Oh, the big signal generator. Yeah. Which now, it's got to be dangerous standing next to that thing, right? Oh yeah, then there's the little game of fisticuffs and then Worf versus hydraulics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just how strong is Worf? Over 9,000. <laughs> well, he's strong, but he mostly gets jobs to do that require totally, in, well, I was going to say inhuman strength, but I guess he does have inhuman strength. He's given the, the hardest possible doors to open, so it gives the weird impression that he's terrible at opening doors. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Alaska Airlines problem. Best on every route they fly, the worst overall. <laughs> because they only fly in Alaska. Cut back to Enterprise. Oh man, there's still three and a half minutes to go. Will stood at the science terminal. Coded messages from this random planet that we've traced. Out of nowhere, Jellico asks, are there any theta emissions? To which Will replies, there are traces of residual Theta emissions. It's like, well, how does he know he should be looking for those? Is that a standard readout now? You just look for everything. Look for everything all the time. Uh, it's Picard versus the Master Controller. Yeah. Took me a while to place him. I was like, where do I recognise him from? He was also in at least two of the original series era films. I'll say at least two. Precisely two. Up to two or more. I also realise that this whole extended scene between, well, this whole interplay between these two is basically a shadow. They're having a Shakespearean actor off. They are both classically trained actors from the old school who cut their teeth playing roles of Shakespeare in the UK. And we get the first of two instances in this two-parter of 
moody, dramatic finale into ridiculously upbeat strings. <laughs> because the end music is always happy and they never change it. <laughs> That's a, a dissonance that just never really registered with me as a kid watching this. <laughs> yeah, because the reason I was asking about the rating is because part two is quite grim in parts. Oh yeah, part two is pretty damn dark. And it's a 12 rating, and I definitely remember this being on in the kind of 6 to 6.30 slot. Well, 6.45, I guess it must have been. On BBC Two of a weekday night. Oh, yes. So there was definitely a point... Cause I guess this was originally aired in 92, when I would have been 8. So we probably watched it at the age of 10 or something. Yeah, that's probably about the time it got to the UK. I've... I've... Now on the second video, and I've skipped the recap. Oh, I'm also going to skip the intro. Created by Gene Roddenberry. Jellica reading the captain's log just to unsettle you further. I say reading, I guess dictating is actually the word. I was trying to think of fictional characters with a known birthplace for pub quiz questions. Labar France was the only one I came up with. The only ones you could think of from Star Trek. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Which is, you know, maybe not broad enough for a general audience. What were you going for? Birthplace, and then the person has to guess the uh, guess the character. Yeah, exactly. Which it cuts you off in two directions because if it's a minor character, then yeah, you know, who's going to know? And if it's someone, if the answer is London, doesn't really reverse direction very well. I can't skip intro. I'm a little bit behind you guys because I was watching the uh, not the recap, but the the drug scene. Da, 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 da. Should we skip ahead a chunk? Let's let's go to. Mm, I was thinking to like the torture scenes. How about ten minutes into this hope? Yeah, let's go for that. I thought that's pretty good. Very good point. No, oh, that's Gul Madred. It is, which is a slightly Star Wars name, in my opinion. <laughs> Saying basically, do you have any health problems I should know about before I stab you with this knife? <laughs> or at least you think he's going to stab him with a knife. Done quite a bit, hasn't he? Are you browsing the IMDb page of the actor? Who- yeah. Got put in face makeup for interrogation scenes. Yeah, when he was in Babylon 5 at one point, back in 94, he played Joel in Lewis and Clark, The Adventures of Superman, back in 94. He's done shitloads since then, but, you know, I, I had to go back that far to recognise something. He's done shitloads of voiceover work. Oh, he's got a very distinctive voice, but yeah, he has done absolute shitloads. No, he did some murder she wrote. That's in the bit that we've skipped... Worf and Crusher have made it back out. Yeah, which Picard did not know because they kind of got shot and then fell behind a closing door. Which becomes relevant because one of the various mind games he has is you can leave but your place will be taken by Dr. Crusher. Well, that's a double mind game as well because apparently one of the uh, the techniques that are used in captivity like that is the, uh, well, the, the mock release where you think you're being released and oh, actually, no, surprise, no, you're not. We lied to you. The staple of the kidnapper along with the mock execution. So quite early in this process, I think he would kind of come to realise that he has abandoned the original idea of this plan, which was capture Picard, because the Enterprise is the flagship, so in the event of us attempting to nab this strategic system, which I've forgotten the name of, Picard will probably know how the Federation plans to react. Minos Corva. But the thing is, he doesn't. He's got absolutely no idea. Yeah. I haven't read that page in my briefing document yet. Here we go. Here's the lights. The introduction of the yeah, spotlights. Also the introduction of the torture remote control, which I guess is how this got a 12 rating. Because he's not getting needles shoved anywhere. It's just, I press this button, red lights come on, and then 
Sir Patrick Stewart has to do his best agony acting. I mean, it is really good agony acting. Acting so hard. It was genuinely upsetting to watch. Yeah, so having kind of given up on the whole reveal the strategic plans to us, he's now just going with the, here are some lights, tell me there are five of them, or I turn the remote control on again. I know you don't know what I want to know, but I'm going to break the crap out of you instead anyway. Which I, I think something very similar happens in 1984, although for a slightly more rational reason. Well, interestingly, the um, the role of the interrogator here was in, well, not inspired, but his his reference for playing this part was from the film version of 1984. I love how when they're watching things on the small screens in this, they hold them perfectly still to make it easier for them to mat mm-hmm. it on in post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because this was the early 90s and the technology to show a clear video on a small device did not yet exist. What was a contemporary at the time? The original Game Boy in its two-colour, grayscale, green and black. 340 by 420 resolution or something. <laughs> oh, I think that's being, even that's being generous. Original game. <laughs> I can hear the keys mashing as Nathan furiously types. <laughs> it's got to access my external brain here. <laughs> 160 by 144. I told you you were being generous. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're in, like, Game Gear territory. The system memory of 32 kilobytes. Oh, why would you need any more? <laughs> <laughs> you've got the day off. Go home. Think about what you've done. <laughs> I like how Will uses his enormous height to try and loom above Jellicoe. When they cut to the scene in the uh, the ready room, and all you can see is the black and red uniform and the brown hair, I was like... Is this like the next day and he's forgiven Riker? Oh, oh no, it's Data. How many man hours did Geordie had to dedicate to removing the fish tank and filtration system from the ready room? <laughs> Maybe it happened, but I would kind of like a season about the Arnold Rimmers of the Enterprise. <laughs> the junior technician grade C's, whose job is to safely transport the unwanted goldfish to Docking Bay 3. <laughs> There was, the, there was an episode that started like that, wasn't there? Um, it was the one where Troy ends up having the weird dreams. The murder in the... In the nacelle. The yeah. And they're like, yeah, what did you do with your weekend? And it was like, nothing. I sat and read a book and started writing on my thesis to prove everyone wrong. I stood at the big glowy plasma field and decided not to jump into it. And to be fair, though, isn't that also essentially what Deep Space Nine is with O'Brien? <laughs> He's too he's too busy to commit to contemplate throwing himself off something. Someone will give him another job to do. Also, I think O'Brien may have been the highest paid person on the station. <laughs> I mean, he was the chief. I don't know if this fun detail about Cardassians had been introduced before in the two episodes they've previously been mentioned in. I liked it that they are a militaristic villain race, and yet they are also super family oriented. <laughs> yeah. They they touch on it with this when Picard is talking to him about the the past of Cardassia, where they they weren't always like that. They've kind of had to be because they they kind of screwed the planet up. Yeah, and they allude to that quite a bit in Deep Space Nine as well that they actually were they're very spiritual with a rich culture, and it kind of fell by the way when there was a military coup. So what you're saying is Cardassia is actually Earth after Donald Trump screws everything up and creates Space Force. <laughs> Maybe Donald Trump saw this episode. And that's why he wanted Space Force. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I firstly, I don't think he probably watched it. Second, because there's no explosions or gorillas fighting. And secondly, 
if he did, I don't think he took it on board because this is a profoundly, I want to say, like liberal infused episode. Not explicitly, but in the kind of premises of how the world works that specifically torture doesn't work and it's just something that people do because they were traumatised as children. <laughs> as opposed to like 24 or something where torture is just a Faustian bargain that, bargain that you might have to use sometimes. I do like the fact that when they're having the discussion about his daughter and Picard uses the line, her belly may be full but her, stomach, her, her spirit will be empty. Like He physically backhands him. And then remembers he's got the remote control of pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your hate has made you powerful. Yeah, because Picard is kind of getting under Golmadred's skin a bit at this point, in that he's getting stories of it. Well, it's these kind of challenged Golmadred to justify the military coup, and as a result, he gets all these um, stories about his childhood as a impoverished youth. You can see how the, the balance of power has shifted through. Even like the, the scene where, after he's finished talking about his daughter, and he goes, "How many lights do you? Th- how many lights are there?" And Picard just looks at him and goes, "What fucking lights?" <laughs> you know, pretty baller staring down the end of the pain controller. That's because Picard is a badass. I mean, not to get too topical, but there's a story said about John McCain who famously was extremely opposed to torture in his role in the Senate on account of having been tortured. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that'll do it. Yeah, which is what I was vaguely thinking earlier, because the acting is horrifying, but it is kind of bloodless, whereas unsettling fact about John McCain is he was unable to look after his own hair because he couldn't lift his arms above his shoulders. Yeah, just like, oof. Because that implies a lot. Hmm. But yeah, apparently, when asked to give like the names and positions of his, you know, SEAL Team Six in Vietnam, it gave them the starting lineup for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> he was also given the bargain to you know, get out early, but refused until uh, everyone else, till you know, the rest of the people in captivity, were released. Yeah, his funeral has been a great example of telling on yourself. By which I mean that people give speeches like, patriotism is good, corruption is bad, and people would say, how dare you criticise Donald Trump like that? <laughs> we're, we're straying dangerously close to political territory here. Yeah. What, by talking about how a, a, a senator criticised a president? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we're actually we're very, very deep inside uh, political territory here. <laughs> we're deep inside Trump. <laughs> If you've got your cutting room scissors going anyway, I'm going to further point out that despite all these protestations, McCain voted with Trump's nominees 98% of the time. There you go, carry on. <laughs> can, rather than Kurt can you just bleep it out? <laughs> and then just have Nathan just say, there you go, carry on. There's a DS9 episode in which it's revealed that Garrick had anti-interrogation training and also anti-interrogation um, technology in the form of a activatable masochism chip. But Garrick also had giving interrogation training. Yes. But now I'm wondering if Starfleet personnel get training in that. Or if the advice is just name, rank and number and do your best. Yeah. I'm not quite sure at what point Picard got given his clothes. Well, not his clothes. Some clothes to wear. I think before he brought his daughter in. That's probably it, yes. Cuts back from Picard sitting back down to chair to the Enterprise. And Jellicoe's like, yeah, Starfleet believes they're going to invade this planet that we just told them we think they're going to invade. So now we're going to go blow shit up because I suggested it to them and they kind of like that idea. Oh, Beverly gave him the stink eye. 
I have no idea where you are in this episode anymore. Picard's just going to sound back down after being told he could go. That's as far as I got. I'm 10 seconds ahead of that in the conference room. Yeah, I've just finished the conference room. I'll go back. Uh, you're at the end of... Yeah, I've, I'm in the conference room now. Yeah, Beverly's not happy at Will's plan to uh, to mine the Cardassian ships. Oh yeah, because they're all hanging out in a nebula, which is you know, the space equivalent of hanging out, of hiding behind a bush. <laughs> waiting to leap out on something. So the plan is to send Riker out in a shuttle on account of he's the top gun and have him yeah, glue mines to the, all the Cardassian ships that are hiding in there. One thing I, I didn't get was the, the quantity of mines because Jellico orders Worf to prepare 500 mines and when they're on the shuttlecraft there looks to be like 10 tops. <laughs> yeah, but I think the whole point is they're sending lots of the shuttles out. I thought they were just sending one. No, because that's why Jellico had to come and get Riker to help, because he's a good pilot. I also thought Riker was doing the whole thing. Yeah, I thought he was the only one doing it, because everyone else was like, fuck that shit, man, you need Riker. They pulled a Geordie. I'm good, but I ain't Riker. Yeah, in finding that nebula, they did come up with some fairly good Star Trek problem solving. Put one clue in front of the other. <laughs> Follow the trail of breadcrumbs. And about, what, we're now 65 minutes into the episode, the turning point possibly when Golmadred just accidentally reveals his deep-seated trauma that's led him to actually continue this process the fact that his childhood was shit if rather than agreeing with Picard that like, he, there was a trauma going like what, what do you mean explain this to me he just went yeah I got treated like shit and so I treat other people like shit I enjoy it here's some pain how many fucking lines and then for the first time in about 40 minutes it actually asks him a relevant question about Minos Corvor again. Surely your shields are protected from the particle flux. That's what they're supposed to do. <laughs> well, I suppose you're not normally meant to dry it, drive it into the forest or whatever the nebula equivalent is. <laughs> no, well, it's only a thick fog. <laughs> this fog makes our fog lights useless. <laughs> We've got to use the bumper. I'm going to propose we jump ahead to about seven minutes before the end when Jellicoe gets on the phone to the Cardassian captain and says... We found you in the nebula, go home now. And they say, no, we're not going to, we're just training. And he says, okay, but you're training with loads of mines that are stuck glued to you by Riker in a shuttle. Drop your weapons as you leave. So I've got bang on seven minutes to go at the moment. Oh, too far. Uh, I've got Picard attempting to smash the remote control. Yeah. There we go. So although we do not know it at this point, Golmadred has presumably received his instructions to just hand Picard back his uniform and tell him to leave. But instead he comes up with this story of saying, the invasion was successful, the Enterprise is destroyed, do you want asylum now? Tell me there are five lights. Which kind of proves Picard right in his <laughs> psychoanalyst of his torturer. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a more of a pride thing at this point, that he just wants to break Picard. Yeah, because he has to know that in half an hour, Golemek's going to turn up and tell him he's been shit at his job. So he's just trying to get the high score at this point. <laughs> He's looking to continue his combo, because if he drops this one, he's back to zero. <laughs> Good to start again. They bust his bubble pretty quickly. They give away all the stuff that he's trying to hide from him, but I guess that's because he's not let anyone else in on his interrogation technique. I get the impression that Golemek just doesn't care. He kind of walks in and says, what have you been doing in here all this time? Yeah. Which must have made Picard's outburst really fucking confusing. He does nearly show off his ass as he waves the Kardashians off as they go to help him. That's... Yes. Not a dignified bedsheet that he's dressed in. <laughs> what was the name of the guy who played 
Golden Madrid in this? You were looking at up earlier, weren't you, Dan? Uh, I was, um, and now I'm not. I I feel like we ought to recognise him because he does a hell of a job in this episode. Because he's acting through an inch of grey face paint, for one thing. Yeah, uh, David Warner. And he's very, very recognisable, even though he is wearing uh, an mm. inch of face makeup. It puts me in mind, actually, of Duet, the DS9 episode, which is another one that is kind of carried on the emotional journey of someone in alien face paint. And then, much like his, all his previous episodes of trauma, he is back at work the following day. Yeah, I was thinking that. After what with this, being assimilated by the Borg, spending a lifetime as someone else. Yeah. At least this time, like he goes to his office and takes the counsellor with him and sits down and has a session. Yeah, that's true. That is the button on the episode. That's literally her job. It's probably one of the, the most impactful parts of this episode. His confession that he was ready. Yeah, it puts a completely different complexion on it because it's like literally had the other guy not walked in at that moment, it would have been a different ending. Yeah, yeah. I think last time we met, talk, spoke, we talked about talked about an axis of goof versus serious, and this could not be more on the serious end of the spectrum. I think yeah. we may have hit the steepest possible decline on that graph, going from fistful of datas to this episode. I mean, with the possible exception of throwing in Luxwana Troy and some tribbles, it was. <laughs> a pretty steep fall. Well, we're talking about goof. The next episode is a bit of a goof. In series or the next one we're watching? In in series, not not that we're watching. Yeah, this is the thing with oh yeah. Well, the thumbnail in Netflix is Geordie dressed in Edwardian costume, so I think I know which one it is. <laughs> with Data and Re- Reg Barkley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not it's not terrible, but it's not it's not mega goof. But it is another holodeck episode. I mean, yeah, this is the the quality of syndicated television that yeah. If I, chop and change different writers and producers from episode to episode. Or at least it was in the 90s. It seems to be all different now with 12-episode arcs. In my day. That has changed a lot since uh, since those days. Back in my one, day. One hour, lad. Just trying to think where, where next week's one comes in the uh, big, On big the serious axis. <laughs> what is it? I haven't looked up the list. All right. Despite what we said about nine months ago when we recorded the preview episode, is actually Parallels. It's one of the episodes we got confused about the title of. Yes. Is this alternative parallel wolves? Uh, multiple thereof, yeah. Uh, wolf through the time schism. Well, it's not time schism. Wolf goes to a battle competition, wins, comes back, and then keeps jumping between different versions of the Enterprise, and his uniform changes colour, and the, you know, who's alive and who's dead on the bridge keeps changing. Time for another Google here. Yeah. Is this the one where he jumps to an alternate reality where him and Troy are together and that's what gives Prime Timeline Wharf the idea that him and Troy could be together? I think so. Spoiler alert, Troy likes it rough. That episode was also three years before the beginning of the TV series Sliders, which <laughs> apparently had five seasons, much to my surprise. Oh, wow. Really? I thought it only had, like, two. I, that would have been my guess, too. But I, we, I knew, You always knew that the last episode, the last jump... Was going to be a really short one, and it was always home, and he'd always fuck up the test because something would have changed. I think the one I saw was like, "Yeah, we're here for two minutes, and right outside my house, this gate always squeaks. Gate doesn't squeak. Let's go." And then his mum comes out of a handyman. He's like, "Oh yeah, I greased your gate as well. It doesn't squeak anymore." <laughs> I thought that was the very last episode in a bit of a well, a sliders is very quantum leap esque anyway. But when he gets like, the chance to stop, and then it goes, "No, I'm going to carry on." I thought that's what they were going to do with sliders. I'm, I'm sure they like skipped home every single season. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case. 
Well, John Rhys-Jones was not in it past season three, so I definitely didn't see more than three seasons. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it without him in. So next week we get parallel wharfs doing parallel battle competitions and doing bad in some, whilst boning Troy in others. <laughs> and then there's definitely a version with Riker where he's like really haggard because the Borg have killed the shit out of everyone. I was going to say, is, is this going to include the line, we are receiving 100,000 hails or similar? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yes, so that is the, the little soundbite I've got prepared. Oh, right, there you go. <laughs> I've ruined it successfully. Yeah, well, <laughs> it depends if it makes the cut, but it's a 285,000 hails. Time ruiner strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how are, we, uh, how are we ending this? I'd rather than be yawning saying how are we ending this. Look, <sighs> we, we have all yawned and all wondered how we're ending this in the last three minutes, so let's just... <laughs> Let's just count to three backwards and then press stop. It doesn't even matter if it's at the same time. <laughs> One, two, three. He said backwards. That's been my, my subconscious subtext in every episode. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.